Greetings, everyone, and welcome to our Berean Bible Church podcast. This message is from our Investigating Jesus series. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. That story kind of reflects my story, and probably a lot of yours, too. I think it was about 40 years ago, there was a vacation Bible school. Anyone remember what those were? VBS? There was a vacation Bible school at a little church in western New York, and a lady shared her faith, shared Jesus with a young girl named Jenna. When I was a little boy, Jenna, my sister, shared Jesus with me. And so I don't even know who that lady was who shared Jesus with Jenna, but I know that because she shared Jesus with Jenna, Jenna then shared Jesus with me, and I became a different person. So remember that you're a chain in somebody's story, and you have no idea the impact that you may be having on someone down the line. It's kind of cool, isn't it? I'm pumped today because some of you had a really big impact on a young guy in our area. In fact, uh, for 10 years, some of you men especially were praying for him to come to faith. And he hit rock bottom in his life about eight years ago. He called the person he trusted the most. That was his mom. And his mom said, Joey, why don't you come to church with me? Joey came to church and he found Jesus in a small group at the church of guys who had been praying for him. Today, Joey is giving his first sermon at Berean Bible Church up in Cincinnati. So this is Joe, Joey Aston. Um, Many of you know we've been mentoring him, praying for him for years. God has done a tremendous work in his life. And so I think it'd be kind of cool for us just to pause right now and a little bit he's going to be preaching up there for his very first time. Let's pray that he's got butterflies in his stomach and he will, but let's pray that God uses him in a really cool way, okay? God, we just want to pray for Joe this morning. Uh, It's so cool that he's going to be sharing his story, and he's going to be sharing your word up at our Cincy campus. And God, we're trusting that there are people there today that will need to hear the message he is going to share. Thank you for writing a really cool story. Thank you for the guys and the ladies who prayed for him for 10 years. And thank you that he has surrendered his life to you and now is willing to share your word in a way that's pretty public in a way that's pretty nerve-wracking. Would you calm him? Would you use him and his message this morning? God, I pray the same for me today. I pray the same for Rick out in Bainbridge, that as we teach, that we would teach not our opinions and our thoughts, but we would teach your thoughts and your opinions. That's the only thing that matters. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want you to know, we have a teaching team here at Brian. So you may not quite understand why we do this, but when you come to Brian, you probably don't really know who's going to get up here and speak. And on any given Sunday, it's probably going to be someone different. In fact, it's not healthy for you, for me, to be here at this campus every week teaching because you need different voices speaking into your life. So although I'm teaching pastor, that just means I lead a team of guys and together we're learning how to teach God's word. There's eight guys on this team now. We serve three, soon four campuses in our area. And I just want you to know that we need your prayers so that we can teach God's word in a way that's clear and helpful. We don't want you to count ceiling tiles while we're speaking. In fact, we got rid of ceiling tiles, so there's none to count. Um, 
But no, we want to teach God's word in a way that's clear and helpful. And what's cool is all around the world, there are churches that are committed to the same thing. They want to deliver a timeless message in a way that's understandable and helpful for people today. And we always want you to walk out of here on a Sunday saying, I get it, and I know what to do with it. I get it, and I know what to do with it. That's our goal. Funny story with Joe. So Lex is new on staff here. She's serving as a family ministry coordinator, and we're really glad to have her helping at Green and our new Front Street campus. Uh, When Joe was asked if he would join our teaching team, he said yes, but I don't think he knew how soon that was going to happen. So a month or so ago, I asked him if he's ready, and we have an open Sunday up at our Cincy campus. So he went home and he talked to his wife. And, and let me read for you exactly what he said happened. He said, my initial thought when you asked me is, are you sure you want me up there? He said, I have felt God's pull to share my faith in a bigger way, and I believe he's gifted me to teach, but this seemed like a tall task. I asked for some time to pray about it, and upon getting home, I immediately shared this news with my wife. She asked how I felt about that opportunity, and I told her, honestly, I don't feel qualified. Her response, without skipping a beat, was this. Well, God has a way of using messed up people. (laughs) He said, I didn't know whether to be excited by that or offended. But she's right, I am messed up, as am I. And God does use messed up people all the time. He said, God has a way of taking our biggest mess and turning it into our biggest message. And that's exactly how God works. And we're going to see that in the story today. So if you would join me in your Bible, John chapter 4, we're going to pick up a story that we started last week. Page 855 in your chair Bible. And if you would like a Bible, take that home with you. Um, We're excited to give away Bibles around here. We just ordered two more cases because a lot of people have been taking Bibles home. And we can't think of a better gift to give people than the Word of God. John chapter 4. Let me give you a little bit of background just because last week was a long, it was seven days ago. It was a long time ago. I struggled to remember what I did yesterday. So, Last week, here's what we learned. There was a story that was written by one of Jesus' best friends, John. And he's telling about Jesus when Jesus is 31 years young. He's new on the scene publicly. He's only been doing public stuff for a year. And he's in a very interesting region of his country. It's a shunned region of the country. It's a despised small town called Samaria. And in Samaria, the people there were viewed as the scum of the earth. They were despised. Jesus' friends, followers, countrymen literally would go out of their way by days extra in journey to avoid this small town. But Jesus didn't avoid this small town. What did Jesus do? We learned last week he had to visit it. John, his friend, wrote Jesus had to go through Samaria. Something within him compelled him to not avoid these people that everyone avoided, but to go directly to them. And not only is he going to this despised small town, but he meets with a woman who is the outcast of that despised town. And this is the Samaritan woman. The reason this woman had a reputation is because she was known for her relationship fails. 
Everyone knew this woman as the woman you wouldn't go to for advice for how to do a, a relationship. She had had five failed marriages. She was now living with her boyfriend. She had a reputation. Everyone knew who she was, and you wouldn't take much stock in what she said. She's in the middle of the day going to the local well outside the village to gather water. And it's the time of the day when no one else would gather water. It was just too hot to be carrying all this water back to the village. But she apparently had to do it that time of day because of her reputation, and no one wanted to be with this woman. Jesus meets her, has a one-on-one -on -one conversation with her, and it's a conversation that would rock the world. Because Jesus drops two announcements on her that really would go viral for their content. And announcement number one was this, that the time had arrived when worship no longer had to be done at the temple in Jerusalem. The worship of God could now be done anywhere, at any time, by any person. And that's a huge announcement that Jesus breaks to a woman with a reputation in a despised small town. And then he drops a second bombshell on her. He claims something that his followers were waiting for him to claim. He says to her point blank, I am the Messiah. I'm the rescuer. I'm the one that people have been prophesying for centuries, have been waiting for. I'm it. But he doesn't speak into a mic. He doesn't talk to a crowd. He speaks to one woman in one despised town. And he's, he's privately sharing this with her. That's where we ended last week. We didn't look at the fallout of that conversation. Now we do. So verse 27 is what happens next. Jesus just told her, I'm the Messiah, the bombshell announcement. Just then, his disciples came back. Now, I don't know if they heard any of that conversation, but their reaction is that they're what? They're shocked. They're shocked to find him talking to a woman because in that day, a guy wouldn't speak to an unrelated woman. It just wasn't appropriate. Let alone a Jewish person talking to a Samaritan woman. It was highly irregular, and it was not done. In fact, we learned last week that this woman had probably never had a Jewish guy speak to her before other than maybe yell at her and curse at her. And here Jesus is talking very kindly and respectfully to her. Here he's dropping these huge announcements on her. And the disciples come back, they see Jesus talking to this woman. This woman is there at this time of day, clearly because she has a reputation. But notice that none of the disciples had the nerve to ask Jesus, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? Has anyone watched the show, The Chosen, the, the TV series about Jesus? It's pretty awesome. I love it, actually. Our, our small group's been watching it and discussing it. But one of the phrases from the chosen that's popular is when Jesus says to his disciples, get used to different. This is one of those moments where they're just kind of used to different. I mean, Jesus frequently said things they would never say, went places they would never go, did things they would never do. And they're, they're, not, they're still not used to that. They're still not used to the different. And what's interesting is Jesus was someone that they had left everything to follow. They had left their jobs, their careers, their, their fishing boats, some of them. I mean, they left everything behind, their families, their friends, their, their hometowns, to follow this guy that they're convinced is going to be the new leader of their nation. 
But the challenge is Jesus keeps doing things that they wouldn't expect him to do and talking to people that they don't want him to talk to and saying things that they don't want him to say. And this happens again here. And they're shocked. They can't process it. And it's funny, they don't have the nerve to question Jesus. I think they're starting to get used to the fact that he's got a good reason. They just have no idea what it is. They're like, he's probably going to have a good answer, and we're going to seem foolish if we ask. But why on earth is he talking to this lady? This makes no sense. Verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village. Now, I want you to notice this lady is probably experiencing the same thing the disciples just experienced. She's shocked. Jesus just dropped some major news on her that she can't believe. And yet, rather than not having the nerve, like Jesus' 12 guys who were a lot like me, this woman has a ton of nerve. She runs back to her town and can't wait to tell everyone about this guy she's met. Now, does anyone here see the irony? How many times do you think she's come running back into town telling people about the new guy she's met? So, yeah, I don't think that this would have made a big splash normally, but there's something different about this guy. There's not, there's not a romantic interest here. There's not like this guy is the love of my life. She just starts saying some pretty amazing things about this guy. In fact, verse 29, she says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Okay, she's never said that about one of her boyfriends. Come and meet a guy, see a man who told me everything I ever did. So Jesus apparently had this conversation with her, more than what we even have recorded, where he just kind of told her her life story. She's like, how do you know that? There's no way you can have all that information. Again, this is a pre-Instagram, pre-Facebook world. Her life wasn't public, other than her small town, which Jesus hadn't been to before. And so she's like, you got to come meet this guy. And then she says a question. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Now, who had Jesus just told her he was? The Messiah. She doesn't say he's the Messiah. She's like, could he really be it? Could he be the guy? Come and see. Like, you just got to come and see him for yourself. Verse 29. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. So there's a ton of curiosity. This woman's been excited about many guys, but she's never talked about a guy like this. And the stuff she's saying, like, it's worth a visit to the well. And so the village just kind of streams out to the well to see this guy. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. Now, here's the irony of this. Jesus, before time began, had decided, I'm going to come to the world and I'm going to drop two major announcements. Announcement number one is you can worship God anytime, anywhere, and anyone can do it. And announcement number two is I'm the Messiah. And before time began, he's like, I'm going to drop that announcement in the despised town of Samaria to that outcast woman that everyone views as scum, even her own people who are outcasts. 
So Jesus had worked this master plan. He's playing this master game of chess, moving pieces before anyone else even knows it's a chess match, right? And Jesus gets all these pieces in place. It happens perfectly. He goes to this well on the day he planned before time began, and guess who's there to draw water? The woman he planned to drop it to, everything's happening to plan. His guys are off getting food. They come back, and I'm sure Jesus is just, he's like, yes, it's going to plan. His guys are there. They're going to witness the people in this town come and receive him. It's this moment, and it, 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 it's this crescendo in the story when his disciples come back, and they're like, why don't you eat some bread and peanut butter? And, and I love those guys because they're me, right? They just don't get it. God's up to this huge plan. He's up to this huge, like this would be a day that would change history. And they're like, you must be hungry. You may be even a little delirious. That's why you were talking to the woman. I don't know. Like, obviously you need some food. And these, these poor guys are just kind of ignorant about God's plan happening all around them. And they're like, you probably should eat something. So Jesus says this, verse 32. He replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. So I can imagine them thinking, like, does he have some of those oat bars in his tunic? Like, does he have, I, I, I have no idea where he got this food that we know nothing about. Verse 33. Did someone bring him food while we were gone, the disciples asked each other? I, how can he not be hungry? And it's funny because, okay, when God decides to become human and come to earth and he spends a few decades with us, you can imagine there's going to be a few communication problems because there's this enormous intelligent gap between God and flesh and people. We kind of accept that. But what's funny is the very people Jesus chose to be his ambassadors, his spokespeople, the intelligence gap was enormous. And it's always, I mean, here again, they're down here talking about food, and Jesus is like, I have food you don't even understand. And they're like, yeah, where'd you buy the food from? Or who gave you the food? They, they, they keep struggling to go to Jesus' level. And Jesus keeps trying to take the conversations with these guys and pivot it to spiritual things. Guys, we've talked about the weather. We've talked about the menu. We've talked about the sports. Let's talk about something a little more important. And Jesus, every time he was in a conversation, he would try to elevate that conversation to something a little bit more important. If you ever had a conversation with someone and you felt like it's kind of shallow, it's not going anywhere, and you'd love to go do something else, poor Jesus had those every day. But he didn't just ignore the people. He kept trying to bring them up to another level of discussion. Like, let's stop talking about sandwiches and let's start talking about the people in this town. Like, there's something I'm doing here that's fulfilling me. and I don't need the food you just bought. But they don't pick up what Jesus is dropping. Verse 34. Then Jesus explained, poor Jesus, he's always explaining, he's very patient. Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Now listen, did Jesus need to eat? Not a trick question. Yes. He was human. He needed to eat. He set aside some of his power, including his ability to sustain himself without food when he became a human. He needed to eat. 
but he didn't need to eat now and then. And he's trying to tell them, guys, there's something that fills me up more than physical food, and it's just obeying my father. Like what's happening right now and what's happening in this village gets me more satisfied than a Whopper with cheese. It gets me more satisfied than the food you're offering me. And can you just pause on the food and can we just focus on what's happening right now? Verse 35, he keeps going. He says, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. Now this was in December. This was planting season in in this region of the Middle East. And they would say at this time of the year, four more months, four more months. Harvest is coming in four more months. This is planting season. And Jesus says, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. So another moment of confusion. I could just imagine these guys looking around like, the fields are freshly plowed and seeded. And Jesus is like, guys, look at this. It's ready for harvest time. And they're like, no, it's not. You do need to eat. Like, you're delirious. We're not sure what you're seeing. But harvest is in April. It's four months off. What are you seeing when you look around? And I can imagine as Jesus is motioning, saying the fields are white for harvest, and I imagine as he motions, he's motioning towards this village that they're right near, and they're thinking, oh, no, no, no. You're not talking about there. And Jesus keeps trying to elevate the conversation. Guys, it's harvest time. It's harvest time right now. Look at verse 36. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest, this is where Jesus brings it to the spiritual, is brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. (laughs) Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Have you ever wanted to talk to someone about faith, but you're scared by the reaction they'll have? Anyone ever been there? I was there this last week, right? And you just don't know, how are they going to react? Are they going to hate me? Are they going to think I'm a freak? Are, they gonna, are we going to ruin the, com- the relationship? Am I going to kill the conversation? But have you ever had a moment where, where you just are like, okay, I'm going to share my story. Or I'm going to ask them where they're at with Jesus. And, and you share something and they're like, you know, I actually would love to know more. I've been asking some questions that I can't get answers to. There's been those moments that I've had that happen, and it feels like you're just running under a fruit tree and trying to catch the fruit as it falls off. It's already ripe. It was already ready to go. And Jesus is telling his guys, he's like, guys, there is someone out there right now doing the work. Right? I can imagine him looking down at the village, knowing that the lady is running through the village saying, you got to come meet this guy. He's like, someone down there is doing all the planting, and they're going to come to you, and you just got to catch them as they fall off the tree. They're ripe. They're ready. Will you join me in what's about to happen? In this moment that I've pre-planned from the history of the world, will you guys join me? Will you set aside your prejudices? Will you set aside your insecurities? Will you set aside your concerns about yourself? Will you set aside your stinking lunch? And will you please focus on the harvest that we're about to pick? 
I, I can only imagine the passion of Jesus. This is why he came. He came for these people in this village on this day. And he's pleading with his guys, 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 please, please. Like, will you just pause everything else and partner up with me? And together, we're going to change this village today. Together, this village is never going to be the same. And he invites them to join him on this mission. Here we go, verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. So they believe. They're like, this guy is important. He's special. There's no one who could have known this woman and her reputation unless they were a, a prophet or someone important. So they come out, verse 40, to see him. They begged him to stay in their village. <laughs> now, just imagine this moment, right? The disciples are like, do we have to help Jesus? I don't think he's going to let us go on this. I think he really wants help. Okay, let's help him for a few minutes. Then we'll distract him with lunch, and then we'll get out of here. And then they see the crowds coming, and they're like, oh, no. Oh, no, right? And then the crowds come, and they start talking to Jesus. And I can imagine the guys are like, can we speed this up? Food's getting cold, right? And they're talking to Jesus, and then they hear the, the question, hey, would you be willing to stay with us a couple days? And I can imagine some of them are like, no, please no, not here, not with them. And I can imagine someone saying, you know what he's going to say, right? I know. He's going to say yes. And he did. That's exactly what he said. So they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days. <laughs> I can only imagine how uncomfortable his followers were going down into this village, finding a place to stay, and sleeping there two long nights. And it says it was long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because, what does it say next? We have heard him ourselves. Guys, this is what Jesus invites us to. He invites us to just make the introduction. Like, we can't change. Does anyone have someone in their life that they really want to be in heaven with them someday, and they don't believe right now? Anybody else? Yeah, I've got a bunch. We can't change them, and many of us have already found that out the hard way. We can't change their heart at all. All God asks us to do is introduce them to his son. When they hear Jesus, when they meet Jesus, that's what changes everything. We just make the introduction. And so they say to this woman, hey, you made the introduction. That's why we came out here. But we don't just believe because of that. We believe because we heard him ourselves. The people that we care about, the people we love that don't believe, they don't just need to hear us. They need to hear Jesus. When I was a kid and my sister shared Jesus with me, I didn't just hear my sister Jenna. I heard Jesus. Not in an auditory way. I just, I met him. I surrendered my life to him and he changed everything. And you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you had that moment where you met Jesus. You heard from Jesus and that changed everything. And they say to this woman, we've had our moment. We've met Jesus and now we know 
that he is indeed the Savior. And what do they say? The Savior of what? Of the world. Notice that they don't say the Messiah of Israel. They say he's the Savior of the world. He's the hope of the world. My friends, if you watch the news, you know that our world is in deep doo-doo. And our world needs Jesus. And Jesus is still today the Savior of the world. There is no town Jesus will avoid. There's no person Jesus can't stand. And there's no place Jesus won't go. We got a young couple here. They're going to go to Brazil after they get married. Right? Megan's been down there. And they're going to go share Jesus with an unreached region of Brazil. And there are going to be people in Brazil that hear about Jesus because they go and tell them in their own language. Now listen, some of you here, this wasn't in my notes, sorry about this, but I just saw some of you here mentored Megan when she was a kid. You poured into her. And because of that, someday there's going to be people down in Brazil that get to hear about Jesus because of the chain reaction of your faith going to her, going to them. That's cool. So guys, thank you for your willingness to serve Jesus down there. Listen, one of my biggest passions for our church family is that all of us think like them, that all of us think like missionaries. Who are the people around me that need to know? Who are the people around me that need to know? Now listen, here's what's crazy. A revival breaks out in Samaria. The place no one would have expected. And this is where revival breaks out. And there's this great awakening. All these people start to believe in Jesus. And the disciples see firsthand something cool. And here's what they see. This is something they didn't want to see, but this is what they saw. Jesus uses messed up people to reach other messed up people. We say this with me. Jesus uses messed up people to reach other messed up people. Listen, anyone else in here messed up like me? Then you are qualified for Jesus to use you. And that became the pattern of Jesus' life. And, and, and it starts to click over time with, this, with Jesus' followers. Like, okay, if he can use this messed up Samaritan woman to reach her village, then I guess he can use me. If he can use the least likely person who has all this baggage and past and maybe isn't even a Christian yet, or if she is It's the same day she accepted Jesus, and on that day, she gets to bring her entire village to meet Jesus. If Jesus can do that, then he can use me. Some of you are young people, and you feel like, yeah, God can't use me. Listen, he can, and he wants to. Some of you young people, you're in school, and you know the best people to reach your fellow students and classmates? It's you. It's you. Some of you are, you're, you're homeschooled, right? But maybe you play sports and there are people in your neighborhood or in your sports teams who don't know Jesus. You know who the best people to reach those fellow athletes are? It's you. 
And, and, and you don't have to know it all. You don't have to have all the answers. You just get to make the introduction to Jesus. Some of you are stay-at-home parents, and you're like, I don't even see anybody on a typical day other than my kids, and half the time I want to kill them, right? Listen, you're showing Jesus to those kiddos in your home. Like, you have one of the most important jobs in the world. Annie's job is way more important than mine. And so don't underestimate the value that you have of pouring into little lives that may one day go out and share Jesus with other people and change the town or the village. Some of you are retirees, and you're like, I'm retired. I hung it up. You might have hung up the career, but man, if you're a Christian, you didn't hang up your responsibility to share Jesus. This is actually a golden age for you when you have extra time, extra resources, and can lead people to Jesus that other people don't have a voice because you've earned that voice and you're respected. Some of you are retirees that were praying for Joey for 10 years. And because of that, Joey now is sharing Jesus up in Cincinnati. Now listen, I think all of us have reasons why Jesus can't use us, right? I'm just, I'm, I'm too messed up. I have a past, I have baggage, I'm not a good enough speaker, I don't have the gift of evangelism, I don't have answers for people's questions. All that comes down to is just insecurity and inadequacy. And all it means is you're messed up. And you're exactly who Jesus loves to use. He loves to use messed up people like you and me. Now listen, I've had the privilege of living in this town of green for 13 years. This is a town of 5,200 people. By my estimates, there are still over 70% of the people of this town who don't have a church family. Over 70%, and that's conservative. Boy, we have our work cut out for us. Because all around us are people who need faith in Jesus, and they need a church family. So here's what I want to do with the rest of our time. I just want to be really practical and give you some ways to make the introduction to Jesus. Because as a kid, I remember I would hear over and over messages like this where, where the preacher would say, you know, you got to share your faith. And I would just, I would feel convicted, I would feel guilty, and then I would feel inadequate. I, I, I don't know how to do it. If someone would just take the time to show me how to do it, I'd do it, but I don't know how to do it. So let me give you some really practical ways. Maybe just take one of these ways and give it a shot this week, okay? Here's one. It's really simple. There's this little book, uh, this one, called How Good is Good Enough. Since nobody's perfect, how good is good enough? Uh, this little book is one of the clearest explanations of the gospel I've ever seen. It's an easy read. It's really small. Uh, last year, a lady in Coventry who just moved into the area, someone connected her with me because she was spiritually curious. I gave her one of these books. Um, that lady turned out came down with cancer and it was terminal and she died earlier this year but not before believing in Jesus and not before requesting a bunch of these to give to her friends and family and before she died she shared Jesus with a bunch of them I didn't even get to spend much time with her but I just put a little resource into her hands that changed her life so remember the power is not in you the power is in the message and it's just a matter of sharing that message with people. And they may be more open than you realize. I was warned in talking to this lady. I was told she's from Brooklyn, and you'll find out really quickly she's hard. Be careful. She was soft and ready. 
She was waiting to meet Jesus, and she met him, and it was so cool. And it was just kind of like that moment where the fruit's dropping off the tree, and you're like, I didn't do the work. Other people and God clearly did the work. She was just ready to hear. So this is a great resource. We've got these, a lot of these things we've got at the Welcome Center. Uh, how good is good enough? Another one is starting point, and this is a, a conversation about faith. I've had the privilege of taking my friend Wally through this this past year, and it was fun because he didn't have a, a, a church background. He really had light bulbs come on. Come on. Um, as he went through this. So it's for those who don't have much knowledge of the Bible or Jesus, it's a really good place to start. It's non-confrontational, it's non-threatening, there's videos that go with it, and it's really, really cool. Um, some of you have just been trained, if you're in the Whitakers group, you, you just were trained to use this, and there's really not much to know other than just go through it with someone. Help them journal their thoughts, and they'll have light bulb moments as they go through I think we assume that people believe the Bible is true. I wouldn't assume that anymore. Um, in fact, we assume that people think the Bible's good. You really can't assume that anymore either. In fact, the average unchurched person now thinks the Bible is evil. So you can't just start with the Bible says. They don't want to hear what the Bible says. So this might be a better place to start for an unchurched person. Starting point. Um, another one that's really cool is what something Ron already talked about today, Grow. Uh, it's for someone that does have more of a church background, and you could take them through the six lessons that every follower of Jesus needs to know, and you'll probably learn yourself as you go through this. So Wally and I just went through this after starting point, and it was so cool. I learn again every time I go again through 101. Uh, another option is what is a Christian? So especially for, this is for kids. It's really colorful. It's really interactive and fun. There's eight lessons in here about uh, Jesus, and it's for grades one through five. So those resources I just talked about wouldn't be for kids. This is the one for kids. So I've gotten to take a couple of my girls through this, and they had their light bulb moments as they went through this. Um, you can request this on our website. If you go to our kids page, there's a little form you fill out so you can request a copy for free. We'll give it to you. We call this 101 Junior. But for a kid who's at a reading level, this is an awesome place to start. And don't underestimate the power of sharing your faith with a kid because studies tell us that most people who follow Jesus, their lives were changed when they were young. And so they're, they're not going to get it all, and that's okay. I didn't get it all when I was young. In fact, I still don't get it all. But starting young is really helpful for a kid to build a foundation. If you're more of a visual person, the story of hope um, is really helpful. A lot, of, a lot of pictures, a lot of maps, and it walks through the stories of the Bible, showing one cohesive story of God's plan to rescue the world. Just another cool resource. Now, if you come up across someone who's not a reader, and we're in a visual generation, this is becoming more and more common, this is my favorite thing to give people, is the case for Christ. It's a movie, uh, it's a true story. Uh, this was an award-winning journalist, and his wife became a Christian, he was livid, so he went on an investigative quest to disprove Jesus and his crucifixion and his resurrection. His investigative quest led him to an inescapable conclusion, and it's recorded in this movie. So for a, 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 someone who's a critic, someone who is... Um, an antagonist, someone who doesn't believe the claims of the Bible, this is an honest look at one man's pretty deep exploration into the claims of Jesus and him being a historical figure. Did he really die? Did he really rose, rise from the dead? 
It's all in here. Really good book. And by the way, on Amazon, it's six bucks. So you really can't beat. This is not a commercial for Amazon, but you can't beat it. Um, all right. And then if you want to uh, just invite people, here's, we got these all over the foyer on the Welcome Center, these little hello invitation cards. And maybe that's all it is. It's just, hey, I'd love you to join. I'd love for you to join me at church. And for some people, that's really all they need. For other people, it may be 10 years of that invitation or that card sitting in their wallet. One person's story in this church was exactly that. The invitation sat in his wallet for many years. But here's what's cool. The last few weeks, I've met some people who were new to our church. I had never met them before. And they told me that even though they're brand new here, they've been watching us online for a while. And we're finding that with more and more people. They want to watch online before they come in person. Uh, even yesterday, I met another person. They're, they're watching us on a regular basis online. So don't underestimate just an invitation. You may not see someone come, but they may be joining us virtually. And God's doing the work in their hearts that you can't see. So just a little tool for you. Now, some of you are like, Justin, I still don't feel comfortable with any of that because if they start asking me questions, I'm not going to know how to answer them. If that's you, we've created this just for you. This is 201. And it's to help people who say, I want to share my faith, but I don't know how. It's some really easy ways to share your faith with anybody, anywhere, 201. You can request a mentor. Someone will walk through and teach you how to share your faith. And when I was taught how to do that as a kid, I'm like, finally, I know how. I can literally draw this out on a napkin. And I had the tools to do it. I went home, and I shared it with my friend, and he gave his life to Jesus. And all it took is someone showing me how to do it. And that's the heart behind this. Um, one last thing is these little PI squared cards that many of you already have. We gave them out just a few months ago. There's more at the Welcome Center. These are um, little cards that you can write the people you care about on that don't believe in Jesus and pray for them. It's just a reminder. Pray for them on a regular basis. Invest in them and invite them to their next level of commitment. So my friends... All of that to say, you and I are messed up people, and we're exactly the people that Jesus wants to use. And he loves using messed up people like that Samaritan woman to reach people far from Jesus. I'd like you to do me a favor. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to just close in prayer. And I'm going to ask God for boldness. Because I'm convinced that you and I are surrounded by people far from God. In fact, I know that's true because, again, in our town, over 70% of people don't have a church family. And God's placed us here in a mission field. Northeast America is known as the most post-Christian corner of the nation. So we're here, and we got to start thinking like missionaries to our own community. And there are more people that are ready for Jesus than I think we realize. They just need to be invited. And if 2,000 years ago, an outcast lady could invite her whole village to come meet Jesus, I think maybe you and I can have a fraction of her courage and begin doing the same. 
So listen, maybe you're here because someone invited you and, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're just kind of kicking the tires on this God thing. You're curious. We would love to help you grow in your faith. We would love to share more. And so if today you want to take a next step, maybe just indicate that on your connection card. Drop it off at that welcome center and, and we'll be in touch with you this week. And we'd love to help you take a step of faith, whatever that step might be. Father, I thank you for the amazing privilege we get to introduce Jesus to people that need to meet him. God, I got to admit, I am so messed up. I fail at this all the time. I fell, failed at it this past week. God, my nerves, they got the best of me. And I need more courage. And I need more compassion. And I need more love. So would you teach us how to have courage? Would you teach us how to have love and compassion for the people all around us? God, we love you so much. Thank you for using messed up people like us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said... Amen.